Welcome to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast, an audio experience dedicated to the further exploration of Bigfoot and the people Bigfoot has revealed itself to. What started as a documentary of personal narrative encounter stories and expert testimony has now shifted into a deeper inquiry into the forever changed lives of those that have witnessed firsthand this hidden truth. My name is Tobe Johnson co-producer of Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed. Join me along with the crew and creators of this doc, director Brett Eichenberger, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and cinematographer Michael Ferry, as we go back into the trees to sit down once again with each guest in search of the truth, no matter how strange. All right, back with me again is cinematographer Michael Ferry, producer Jill Remen-Snyder, and director Brett Eichenberger. And today's guest, all the way from Bandon, Oregon, is lead pl- <laughs> is lead plumber Stan Avery and Bigfoot witness. And I would say that he's the guy that named the darn documentary A Flash of Beauty. So um, we have a heck of an interview here, guys. Tell me what you thought. Uh, wow, maybe five stars. Stan is quite the character, and uh, he is the great collector of Sasquatch stories. They made Stan and then broke the mold. Mm. I'm just good at that. <laughs> yeah, when we interviewed Stan uh, for the documentary, that was a documentary in and of itself. I mean. That was a that was a character study and someone who's traveled the world, uh, seen and heard many things and had a lot of opinions about things. And he is just he is just one of those people that he's such a a great uh, he's so great with words. Yeah, he's a, a he's a natural or, he's a yeah. natural orator. Like he's one of yeah. the guys that you would meet in the old time, standing on the corner, and you would just hear about uh you know the day's events you'll hear from stan at the end of the at the end of the uh the uh podcast that he you know he's in this to meet people he's in this to hear stories and you know and ultimately i think we kind of have a shared goal in the fact that we're you know we're trying to normalize this we're trying Mm -hmm. to make we're trying to make these stories you know people have these stories and they happen and and we're both trying to you know Mm -hmm. we're all trying to get these stories out as a group and we're, you know, we've got a shared goal in that. And, and that's, that's ultimately why I think Stan is so popular with the viewers. We get into this map too. If you haven't seen flash of beauty, um, Bigfoot revealed, you can watch it anywhere. Documentaries are streaming. We really don't mention it enough. Um, we're trying to get Stan to come out to forks for part two, which again is going to be playing at uh, the second annual, Forks Sasquatch Days in Forks, Washington. You can get tickets now. Uh, it's $50 for all day on Saturday. You can do a three-day pass for a little bit more. Um, it's going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and part two is on Friday evening. And there may be some surprises on Saturday as well. So you want to show up for that. Hopefully we can get Stan out there for this as well. And um, But we get into a couple of things here. One of the things I didn't get a chance to mention to Stan was this map business. And um, just to reiterate here, because I can't re-edit what we've already done, is the fact that um, there's a map that comes up in this documentary that was given to me as well as 
screenshotted by Stan. In the case of my map, um, just to reiterate here to the folks online that haven't heard this and, and you folks listening, is that when you watch this documentary, you'll see a colored uh, BLM map. In the case of when I was given this map, it was circa 2011 timeframe, I believe, near the town of Elkton, Washington, sorry, Elkton, Oregon. And in short, a BLM worker invited me out to his house in Coos Bay to relay his Bigfoot sighting to me. And as I was uh, sitting in his house with his wife and his son sharing a Coors banquet, he went and got his uh, logbook because you have to keep everything on file when you're out in the forest as a BLM worker. And at the end of the interview, describing his incredible counter, seeing a Sasquatch on a skid road, eating mushrooms, he suspected. Of course, he called him a man in a fur coat that was standing up, but it wasn't a man in a fur coat. He said, do you want to see the map? And he perceived to unroll this map that Stan Avery has pretty much a likeness of. And um, this map was incredibly detailed. He gave the map to me. I took it back home to Eugene, and about two days later, I get a voicemail. The voicemail was from his son. They said, my dad shouldn't give you that map. He's been bragging at work about you coming by. He's going to get fired unless he gets that map back. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was hesitant for a second, but man, this guy had only a couple years to retire. And so I went down, I think I had a Samsung Galaxy, and I hung the map up quickly on the side of the cedar fence and got a quick video. And then I FedExed the map back to him. So... The map stands as, I guess, credible proof to not only Stan's story, but the fact that government workers know about this phenomena. Stan knows government workers that are also in this documentary. Remind me of um, the name that gets brought up over and over again, Brett, as far as the government worker that he's referring to in the documentary. Stuart Love is the man's name, and we interviewed Stuart um, ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, and he's featured in the documentary. Yeah, so there seems to be this overlap, and we get into this overlap of maybe how the ODFW, the BLM forestry workers, and these shadowy organizations, that they seem to know something about this phenomenon. I think you're going to be surprised at the answer that was given about what's going on with this Bigfoot phenomena. It's an incredible interview. Stan is just a wealth of information. We're lucky to have him in the dock and lucky to have this interview. So. If you guys don't have any further questions, um, let's press forward here and go ahead and uh, showcase our interview with the incredible five-star Angie's List, Angie's List plumber, Stan Avery and his Bigfoot story. All the way from Bandon, Oregon, Stan Avery, owner-operator of Avery Plumbing. Hello, Stan. Hello. <laughs> it's great to have you on board here for Flash Beauty, the podcast. Tell folks a little bit about your origin story, because as it relates to the documentary, we never really get into how you go from five-star Angie's List plumber to this Sasquatch database that gets all these stories here. So tell people a little bit about yourself. Well, actually, the two go together very well, um, because as a plumber, I've been doing this for decades. I'm in people's homes all the time, and I have the gift of gab, and we get to talking, and people trust their plumber. And so years and years and years ago, I just started talking to people about um, Bigfoot, 
just bringing it up kind of as a as a, a a throwaway just to see what people would do and it was astonishing how so many of my customers uh at first it was like a broken record they would say oh i don't believe in that stuff and then i go oh okay but they would know that i did that i knew they were real because i grew up you know around them and my wife as well and i'll tell you more about that later but anyway <clears throat> what would happen is almost invariably Maybe a half hour or an hour later, I'm doing the plumbing and they, they'll come up and go, well, here's what happened to me. And they'll tell me their stories. And a lot of them were stories no one had, they had never told anyone before. And so I started recording them and now I've got this really thick file and I'm still collecting more of them. I actually have a few uh, more that uh, just that came to me recently that are fascinating. And so I just keep collecting them. Uh, my wife grew up on the edge of the Lumi Indian Reservation, which is actually mentioned in the documentary in Flash of Beauty. And she just grew up. Bigfoot was another animal in the woods. And she was astonished at 19 in college to meet a girl that thought Bigfoot wasn't real. So she just grew up around it. And my dad was the chief of police in Philomath. And he said, he's told us, he said, back in the 40s and 50s, that we didn't have the name Bigfoot. He said, we called them the big smelly apes. He said, there was a family of them that lived southwest of Philomath. And we knew they were there. We kept quiet about it and just left them alone. He said, they were huge. They smelled bad. And uh, we just, you know, some of the neighbors would put food out for them. And this was a long time ago. And so he said, that's just uh, the way it was. But we didn't want to talk about it because we didn't want people coming in with guns. We didn't want to get the government involved. So we just kind of left them alone. And so, you know, so that's my background. And uh, but now I've got this plethora of reports from my uh, customers. And now there's a lot of other people that have contacted me. Um, and actually, there's that, this amazing um, uh, observation that uh, came to us recently. I think I mentioned it to the team uh, when um, when they were here, um, Steve Nibbler, and he had an amazing uh, uh, time watching one with high-powered binoculars uh, just uh, southwest of Roseburg, Oregon. So I have lots more accounts that people are telling me about, and I just keep track of them. Stan, when it comes to the name of the documentary, it's just so cool that in the documentary, you just kind of name it and, you know, everyone just borrowed this beautiful title, Flash of Beauty. Tell people about that story. Remind them well, why, why there was a flash. It's, it's, it's actually uh, an accumulation of the reports that people have given me of their experience. Um, as you'll learn from this, if I sing this song for you, it's uh, they don't pose for photos. You know, and when and whenever someone would see them, they're so fast, and that's all you get is just this amazing flash, and they're gone, and, and then you're thinking, what was that? And that's actually not an unusual um, experience. That's very common. Uh, people will see it, and and uh, and it'll just be moving so fast, and there's just a flash, but you know what you saw, and uh, it's another thing to convince someone else because everyone will say, well. It was just a bear. And also, there's a lot of people that I've found that have that have seen them and 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 wondered what they saw. And then when they would meet other people that knew they were real, then they would go, that's what it was. Then I thought, who's who, who's going to see a bear sprinting on two legs? And uh, it doesn't make any sense. And there's this huge animal. And so 
it's been a great relief for a lot of people, but that's just a way that they would describe it so commonly is they would have this experience where they would just see it, just see it uh, running. It would just take off running. And, and, uh, and of course, everyone's experience is different, but there is commonality. And so I just said, it's a flash of beauty. You just see this thing and it's amazing. And, and of course they're huge. They're rather intimidating. Um, but, uh, that's you know it's very rare that people get to just like sit and watch one uh very very unusual um i had an uncle that used to um uh, my dad's brother and he would uh he would climb up in this tree in this high place and and sit for a long time and he would wait until this family that was southwest of Plymouth back in the in the in the early 50s so it would come by and he would watch them and and uh, but very seldom does somebody get to see one at all. Now they see us all the time, I believe. Um, but every once in a while, we get to blunder onto one of them. Dan, you bring up a great point. They 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 do. They see us, but we don't see them. I've heard oh, lots yeah. of people say that. Um, this is Brett, by the way. I know you're on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, I read something, I, maybe it was on Facebook or someplace else where some scientist came out someplace. I don't even know where this guy was based, but he said, oh, yeah, you know, Bigfoot sightings are most likely black bear. And, you know, we the collective of us here in this this podcast tonight know that that's not true. And one of the things that I think we all really loved about you is is the quality of the people that have had these sightings is unmatched. I mean, these are pillars of the of society. Many many of these people <clears throat> that are your customers have been cust your customers for years, and they don't want their names out there, not because of the uh, yeah. Some of them, yeah. you're right. Yeah, they they they, like the, they know what they've seen, right? Yes, and, and uh, like some of them are like you know business owners, pillars in the community. Uh, there was one recently, and I know I've mentioned it to you guys, and I'm hoping he is prepared to be interviewed, but uh, he's like a, 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 a renowned citizen in the uh, Roseburg uh, community, and and he had a sighting. He didn't know they were real. Ben, he's the one that for 90 seconds watched one in broad daylight against thin snow um, uh, through high-power binoculars and um, and a, a lot of people that were very skeptical, unbelieving, they would make fun of me, which I don't care. I'm happy with it. It's their problem. But uh, a lot of those people now have come to me and said, Stan, that's it. If Steve Nibbler saw one, they're real. And that settles it. And because of his, his reputation in the community, um, it was just unassailable. And um, a, a lot of times people don't want to believe that they're there for a, a myriad of reasons. Uh, sometimes it's just a kind of a fearful thing, but, um, you know, they just, it, it, it bothers them. Uh, and you know, they, they want to know that they have a, a clear understanding of their entire world. And, you know, it's, it's ironic. There are so many mysteries to this life. I mean, what percentage of species have we even identified in this world? Uh, it's actually, I think a minority still. It's true. It's true. You know, Stan, you're a pillar of the community as well. I would imagine that this film has brought, you know, you out of the woodwork even more so as the Bigfoot guy in Bandon. So 
Has that happened to you? Has the documentary, you know, brought some recognition to you? Uh, yes, incrementally. I mean, I've, I've been doing this for decades and collecting these stories and <clears throat> I'm an extremely secure person. And so, you know, if somebody says, well, I don't believe that, I think, well, that's their problem. You know, I, and uh, I, to me, it's like silly to, because there are so many credible reports and there are so many, uh, there's quite a bit of, of photography and, and uh, video clips and things like that, that uh, th- th- there's no, there's no, um, logical explanation for all of that. And, uh, and so I'm just kind of used to it, but I do have people now contact me and saying, well, here's what happened to me. Actually, I had one just, uh, um, uh, uh very recently, um, uh, that, uh, a, a woman, uh, that works at the bank here and she tied together, uh, because she trusted me and she said, I know you want to know this. And she tied together a mystery from 20 years ago, the, the, the girl's birthday party on the Sixers river. It's quite an account. And, uh, and, and it was left kind of like completely unfinished. The story was just kind of hanging there until just very recently. And finally, the woman who clammed up came forward and said, okay, here's what happened to me. And, and there were these, uh, I don't know if you want me to tell you all the details of it. It's an amazing account. Yes, please. I think. We okay. All right. So, so 20 years ago, there was, I'll, I'll be brief. There was a, a, a birthday party way, way out in the woods in this home on the Sixers river. And, uh, and these two of these girls decided let's be adventurous and go for a walk. And so they went walking down this trail way off into the woods, uh, during the day. And they walked underneath a tree and up in the tree sitting there with his legs dangling was a huge ape with red eyes staring right at them. And both the girls just flipped out, ran all the way back to the birthday party, burst in and was saying, there's this huge ape up in a tree out here. And of course, they just made fun of them. Well, one of the girls didn't really care. She held on to her story. The other woman clammed up completely after that outburst and she just freaked her out. And so she's the one who told her friend in the bank now, 20 years later, look, I got to tell somebody, this is what happened to me. And so there are these two women here in the community who had this experience and they have not changed their story. And it leads us to the larger story, which is that area. If you look on that map, the, the federal map I have, and of course there's that new map now, which is, an amazing production, but there's like, like a string of pearls. There's a bunch of, of sightings, you know, government official sighting locations on the Sixers river and the elk river. And of course, you know, like that, that picture that we have of a juvenile, um, Bigfoot sitting up in a, in a dead snag that was taken recently. That was, uh, on the elk river, but between those two rivers, there's this huge wilderness area and no one goes there you know that you know that that famous line from um uh uh lord of the rings um one does not simply walk into mordor remember that line um and and this wilderness area is like that and there are no trails if you want to go in there you're going to basically be splashing and swimming up a creek somewhere because it is so extremely rugged and remote and steep. You can't just go hiking there. 
and uh, and 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 so there's it's out on the outside edges of the, of that wilderness area that is just impassable. People don't go there. Well, I've been there a couple of times, and and boy, I tell you, the the, the well, I went there with my wife, and the Bigfoot that made it really clear to us, you had better leave now or you're next. And and um, we had a terrifying experience in there, um, and we left and never went back there. And uh, and then uh, also we uh, we hiked in an, another place trying to get in there. And we just basically just got soaked walking up this creek and there was no place to hike on the way out near the mouth of the creek. We ran into a couple of, uh, of, of forestry officials that were measuring the gravel for the salmon spawning. And they were astonished. They said, we've never known anybody that has ever been where you guys were. And they said, what's it like? And we told them it was terrible, not a place to go hiking. But the, so there's this huge wilderness area between those two rivers that that, that the, the the Bigfoot can uh, can hide in. And actually, back in the 1800s, you know, when there were gold mines uh, uh, on the sixes, that was where they had those battles. And and Teresa, my wife, she does this huge amount of research and she's researched all these old publications where you have to go into these archives in the library and look at these local newspapers from the late 18 early 1900s and she's found a, a number of articles that speak very mundanely about the, the the big apes and that they live back there in this old tribe of them that live at the headwaters of the sixes river and the indians of course we know the indians always just recognize it as uh, as who they are there's just these big uh, uh, dangerous creatures that live way off in the woods and they had different names from that's I think where the name Sasquatch came from but anyway that wilderness area there is just a perfect habitation for the uh, Sasquatch because no one goes there and the one time that Teresa and I went there we we actually had to have rope and rappel in it was so steep and we got in there and then we were we, we were going down this crazy crashing creek and then there was a little level place and we were just kind of walking along and uh, with a, f a friend of ours that went in there and and there growing out of the rocks by the side of the creek, there was this real healthy dug fir, maybe like about three inch diameter, uh, you, you know, the kind that would grow underneath a big old growth forest and then it would eventually die unless a tree fell over and then it would replace it. That's how it works. So here's this really healthy dug fir tree. And just before we walked up, something really big with hands had taken that tree and had broken it into multiple pieces and stripped the branches off and left it in a neat pile. And we were speechless, stood there looking at this thing. What just happened? You know, I went through the whole thing looking for a tooth or a claw mark. There was nothing. Something with hands and had just demolished that tree, not just broken it down, broken it into pieces and stripped it and left it in a pile. And it was a very clear message. You leave now. And I knew that, that it was watching us. Uh, it was obvious. You could still smell the pitch in the air. It was so obvious. So we left, never went back there. We got the, the memo. And uh, so th that area there, it's a huge area, dozens and dozens of square miles. And um, boy, people that doubt, you know, how could the Bigfoot be hiding? Well, all you need to do is just take one um, airplane trip over the forest and you look down and you think, yeah, plenty of room to play hide and seek. 
Absolutely. Stan, I was just looking at a map of the Sixes River and I was following, following it up into the coast range going east. And it's just, it's winding, it switches back. I mean, you're talking about yep. some of the most remote wilderness in the state of Oregon. And you're exactly right. There is plenty of area for them to hide. Yeah. And no one, no one ever goes there except idiots like me. And I give up. I will not go back. Stan, in the documentary, you go into detail about the dump, the dump near Bandon or Coos oh, yeah. Bay. Talk to people about that dump and what's been done since, because I, I have questions as it relates to maybe what Sasquatch would be doing in that dump. But talk a little bit about that. Well, well, background, because there have been some recent events, and we still, we speak to the men there very plainly um, about the Bigfoot when we go there, because that's where we, we take our garbage. We go to the dump there. And um, there's a, a local historian and cartographer, his name is Ned Reed, and, uh, and he's a squatcher, and you know, he, he knows they're real. And he went to the trouble of, uh, it took him a while, uh, to, he would go there and he would talk to the employees at the dump about the Bigfoot. And of course he ran in, in initially into a 100% wall of denial, but eventually, and he kept at it, he was very persistent. Three of the guys that worked there finally admitted, yeah, the Bigfoot do come and forage in the dump. And one of them uh, said it very reluctantly. And, and there's, there's guys that will tell us, they'll talk to us very plainly about it now, privately. Uh, just like, for example, Stuart Love, the uh, the senior biologist for the ODF&W, he has to be very careful what he says. But in a private conversation, Stuart told me plainly, he said, we know they're there. He said, we keep track of them. And I, I knew about the, 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 the BLM map. And uh, he, he said, we, uh, uh, you know, we, we have all kinds of forensic evidence. But he said, I am the lion at the gate for the Endangered Species Act for Southwest Oregon. And he said, if we ever admit publicly that the Bigfoot are real, he said, it will open such a can of worms. He said, we would have to lock up all the land from Sacramento to Alaska. He said, good governance is to keep it as a legend. And that's what we do. They do the same thing with the ivory-billed woodpecker in the southeast of the United States. There's all kinds of people, just like Bigfoot, that have like, they get video recordings, audio recordings, they have a very unusual call, and uh, they, they have photographs. There's a lot of people, the locals know that the ivory-billed woodpeckers are there. It's a really large woodpecker that is listed as extinct. The government knows they're there, but they keep it listed as extinct because if they ever admit that they're there, they've got... A, a, a legal nightmare on their hands in terms of, 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 of the, uh, you know, pulling the trigger on the Endangered Species Act. So Stuart told me plainly, he says, we just, uh, we just were polite, we're nice to people, but we keep it as a legend. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's what we have to do. And that kind of makes sense to me. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't need our help. And uh, there, there's, uh, there's, it seems like a really good uh, populace. If, if, if the reports that I've gotten and the, the, you look at the maps, the, the, there's, there's plenty of them because they are, as Stuart told me, um, Stuart Love, he said they are extremely intelligent and extremely elusive. And he said, my dream job uh, would be if the, if the state of Oregon would finally assign me to do the population count. I would love to do that because that's his job. He said they will never assign me that because they know I would fail because you can't just go out there and count them 
like you can't, I mean, you know, a cougar you know, is, is uh, you know, they're, they're elusive, but they're dumber than a wall. But a Bigfoot, if you don't want to, if he doesn't want to be found, uh, that's not going to happen. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they, they, th- they th- think they see one or they'll be walking along and they'll go, wait, I just saw something, it disappeared. And, and I think uh, in many cases, the reason why it looks like it disappeared is because they just go straight up a tree. And uh, they're obviously really good climbers. And, uh, and so uh, that, that's kind of the, 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 the background to that. But as far as the dump, uh, what they did was they, they just shaved the hills all around the dump. It's all completely clear cut, put in roads, everything just clear cut the entire thing. And then they spent uh, about a third of a million dollars. I asked one of the county commissioners um, to build this huge, security fence around the dump and when i asked them i said well why did you build that they said well we don't want people coming in here and and you know and you know me, you know people coming in here and and trying to forage and and steal things you know meth heads or whatever like that and i just i just laughed at them i said that's ridiculous there's a gate at the highway it's a quarter of a mile walk to get up to the um to the um uh, to the this new gate that they have, and then you'd have to climb over that to get to get in there. I said, "Who's gonna Who's gonna show up there? It doesn't make any sense." Um, and 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 they they admitted that nobody's ever done any damage or anything. They said, "Well, just in case, we don't want people you know, breaking into our dump here." And it's like, "Oh, please, this is this is uh, uh, absurd." And uh, also, I have in my collection about a dozen sightings. Of, of very credible people right in the in the proximity of the dump area where people have actually seen them uh one woman actually clipped a juvenile and uh, uh not, not very far from the dump and uh and so uh, there's been a lot of sightings around there because it's you know for for generations it was just the place to hang out because it's like a smorgasbord why would they not but they're the only animal it can I'm get sorry. into the dump and back out. Yeah, I just wanted I just wanted to suggest something real quick. That dump is yeah. on Seven Seven Devils Road, is it not? Yeah. Well, Toad can kind of talk about this a little bit, but uh, didn't know that. that. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of thought that that the the names, um, some of the place names around the Pacific Northwest, uh, with with the name Devil in them comes from the fact that people would hear those screams and the, you know, and see things they couldn't explain and they associated them with devils. Well, even Stan, when you said the Sixes river, that's known as the Sixes wildman case, right? Yes. And, and, uh, uh, Teresa and I are convinced that like the seven devils were named after these creatures, but, um, but there's so many geographic examples, uh, especially in the Northwest, like up in Washington, ape Canyon, really, uh, and, and there are actually several, uh, you know, several places where there are, there are, uh, there are things like that. I found a really old um, map um, on the um, uh, of the. Uh, uh, there's a mountain. Ironically, my last name is Avery, and there's a, a mountain called Avery Mountain, which is uh, near the um, uh, the uh, Sixes River, and you can find that on a map. And in a really old map, it talked about these uh it, it mentioned these caves near the top of the mountain uh, where the where the apes would live and uh it was just this old 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 map uh that, that talked about that that that's where they would uh 
that's where they would go. They had caves up there. And uh, uh, there's all kinds of things. Like, like when you read the newspaper accounts from the early settlers that lived here, uh, when they first started having newspapers in uh, places like uh, Myrtle Point. Myrtle Point is a real hotbed of, of uh, per capita of uh, Bigfoot sightings. And uh, they would write about them. It wasn't, it wasn't like mystical or controversial. They would just write about the, the apes or the wild men or whatever they wanted to call it. And, uh, and devils, of course, would be an appropriate uh, name because they're hearing all these screams and what's making those noises. And that's not like any animal that we know. And, um, and you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 <clears throat> the unknown uh, is, uh, is, is it creates uh, uh, things in our fertile imagination. You know, we, we tend to uh, exacerbate in our minds, uh, uh, you know, things and, and, um, and exaggerate rather, and, you know, what, what they are like, you know, the unknown uh, mystery just is, is, can be inspiring and can be very fearful. And so I think that's just what happens. And, and uh, the, the, but, but I think with very few exceptions, the Indian tribes, it was just another animal in the woods and, and they, uh, they uh, avoided them and, and the apes avoided the Indians. And so they got along just fine, but they knew about them. And of course it was included in their art as so many examples like that. Um, you know, really not just here in the Northwest, here in the Northwest, we've got, it's, it's really a rich environment for those creatures, but they're all over the place in Canada, uh, in, in almost all of the United States. And of course the smaller version in the Southeast United States, uh, they're, they're everywhere. And there's just part of our culture. And, um, and when you go back in history and actually look for it, there's a lot of amazing historical accounts. Hey, Stan, you know, you talk about yeah. the historical accounts and you talk about how, like at the turn of the century, uh, how it was kind of spoken freely about in uh, news publications. Now, in yeah. your, I have been, I have had the opportunity to look through that binder of yours with all the the stories you've collected. Oh, yeah. and, and you have some interesting news stories. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about uh, the reports from the Columbus Day storm that we had, oh, yeah. uh, if you're if you're not familiar with Oregon, the Columbus Day storm is just part of our history. But also, also on top of that, you talked about an account of a young man who was either jogging or hiking, and he was he was told in the ER he was um, attacked by a cougar. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, Oh, I know. I know that account very, very well. He was a young man. His family was actually visiting from the East Coast and they were visiting uh, 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 friends in uh, in Medford, Oregon. And he was a cross country runner. And so he decided I'm going to go. He he uh, he went up uh, uh, north of the city and there's all these just mountains and hills and roads and stuff. And he was up just doing a cross country running just, you know, like like I did when I was young. But I don't do anymore because I just turned 71. But anyway, he was running on a particular road and and he slipped uh, on the edge of the road. There was just a, 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 a boulder there and he slipped and he fell down the hill a little ways and hit his head. And and you know, I, I read a detailed account of this and 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 it, it knocked him out. And when he when he came to, 
there was, you know, his, his head was bleeding and he put his arm up and, and he wiped his forehead uh, with his arm and got blood on it and squatting uh, just up above him, not on him, but just up above him was an ape, a huge ape with us. Actually was light colored and it was watching him. And, and as soon as he woke up, it jumped down, it grabbed his arm, snapped it off at the elbow and just, and just uh, ran off with it, apparently as a snack. I mean, he didn't know. It was just ran off, and he was in shock. He made it up to the road, and then serendipitously or providentially, a, uh, a forest worker was driving by and, uh, and saw the young man there laying by the side of the road, picked him up, took him to the hospital. And then in the hospital, he told them you know, when he was recovering, you know, exactly what happened. He told the officials there, and they basically changed his story for him. And, uh, and, and just said, you know, there was an official report and, and that this cougar and a cougar isn't going to do that. Isn't going to like remove your arm. The, the, the cougar actually is going to remove your neck. That's what they do, you know, and, and they, uh, that's, that's how they, they kill you. But, uh, it's something with hands had to snap that, that arm off anyway. So that was that, uh, that account. And it was, it's very, the, the report, he talked about it later and he spoke about it very plainly. He wrote about it, uh, years later. And, and, uh, that's, that's, uh, what happened. What was the other account you were referring to? Uh, the Columbus day storm. Oh yeah. Now that was when I was a kid, I actually delivered newspapers in the Columbus day storm and, uh, there was massive devastation. There were, there were in the coast range mountains, there were entire mountains full of, 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 of trees that were completely blown down. It was huge. Uh, the, the damage and the loss <clears throat> anyway, down near the California border, there was this female Bigfoot that was, uh, a, a, a tree blew over and, and trapped her and killed her. And the body was found. It wasn't too far from a road and it was found. And there was a team of a federal team of scientists that did an autopsy on that Bigfoot, a really detailed autopsy. And I have the notes from that autopsy. And uh, there were actually two autopsies. There was one from Texas. There was actually a, a small family group of Bigfoot uh, in Texas that were shot. They were killed uh, with, with rifles. And <clears throat> these, uh, these uh, federal workers actually came in and did an autopsy on that. I have the notes from both of those autopsies. And what happened was the man who was the, uh, the federal scientist, uh, he <clears throat> retired <clears throat> and lived in, um, he was in Colorado and he died. And his brother uh, found his report of the of these autopsies in all of his papers. He was going through his brother's papers and he found these. And I thought he thought this is astonishing. And so he actually uh, uh, d disseminated them. He said this is amazing. People need to know this. And and I I was able to get uh, copies of those. And uh, and it was just it was it was extremely scientific, extremely technical uh, autopsies of these two creatures. But the one from the Columbus Day storm down near the California border was a female. And they autopsied it. And, but, you know, I mean, there have been so many accounts, like how many reports are there of like where somebody will hit one on the road, like a truck driver will smash into one and then they stop. And then the, the people come and pick up the body and you never hear about it again. It's all obfuscated. It's all covered up. And Stuart Love, as I said, explained to me the reason for that. 
because if we admit that they're there, we've got a problem, Houston, because what are we going to do about the Endangered Species Act? And, uh, and so th- it's just been covered up. But, but um, when my, you know, like a uh, hundred years ago, they weren't trying to cover it up. They kind of would ignore it, but you know, you can read the way they wrote about it. It wasn't some, some government, you know, secret. It was just something you hear about. And, and, uh, but you know, it's, it's like, the, you know, there's a lot of, 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 uh, mysterious creatures like that in the world. Uh, Bigfoot is not one of them. The reason Bigfoot is of note is because it's big, you know? And like, for example, there's uh, ring-tailed ferrets on the Sixers River, but they're not officially there. But people see them every once in a while. And, um, and you know, so there's animals like that, uh, you know, rare animals. And uh, But the, when, when something is eight to 10 foot tall, um, uh, you know, it, it's a bit intimidating. You know, people don't like to know that there's something like that out in the woods. They like a nice, comfortable, uh, we know a black bear is not that big of a deal. Uh, they don't get that big around here and they just, uh, they run away usually. And, um, and you know, you feel safe with that. And cougars, they'll usually leave you alone. They're very shy. But the apes, that's something that really bothers some people. It, they don't like believing they're there. And so they like to pretend that they're not there, which is fine. I think the Bigfoot don't mind at all. Stan and I had a chance to catch up um, before this interview. And we talked, uh, you know, a little bit about uh, how this interview was going to go and um, just getting Stan connected with with the format, but we also touched on a few things here and, um, you know, we don't have a whole lot of time left to get into this, but when I saw the map come in this documentary, I immediately recognized that map from a witness. I spoke to a guy by the name of Don in Coos Bay, Oregon, circa, I believe it was 2010 timeframe. And, um, Stan is the only other guy that I've ever seen have a map like that. Now, Stan, um, you've had some a chance to look at the video I sent you. I don't have the map anymore. As as these things go, the paper trail usually, you know, is shifty at best or just completely gets deleted or wiped out or disappears. And this map is one of those kind of things. But I got a video of it. So talk about the map. And, um, sure. you know, I'm curious about your findings. Yeah, well, the one that I have is not the same one that you have, but it's the same background. And there are some notable differences. Like my map, it's obviously the same BLM map that shows the, the patchwork of, uh, of, 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 the, of the land, how it's distributed and the rivers and the coastline and everything. But my map has the roads on it and that other map does not, but it's obviously the same background. So those two maps were two separate accounts uh, two separate recordings of sightings, and and they may have transposed one onto the other, like recorded on there. But but um, the, the the map that you showed me, it says it, it says you are not alone, and the one that I have that was from the BLM office in North Bend, it said um, uh, backed by popular demand, and and you know both of them kind of whimsical lines that they threw in there. The one that I had. I knew about it for a year and a half, and I was like doing my my begging, manipulative, persuasive best to talk one of the federal or state officers 
um, th that I knew because I work on their plumbing, et cetera, into letting me have a screenshot of that map. And finally, this one federal officer that was nearing retirement, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So he gave me that screenshot, which you have seen, which is in the movie. And he was very careful, though. He said, uh, you know, don't don't pass this around here. But um, at this point, it, it, it's a moot point. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, but the map that you have there that's in that YouTube video, that's far higher quality. And uh, it's got a lot more detail. And my map has a, a, about 70 sightings. And, of course, then there's the icons are the same on both maps. Uh, but, you know, Southwest Oregon just has a lot of Sasquatch living here. And because when you think about just anecdotally, the number of people, th these are only sightings that are officially recognized by the government. Uh, and that would be just a tiny tip of the iceberg of what has gone on. I mean, my collection of, uh, of sightings, and I'm still collecting more. Um, like, I mean, the, the Steve Nibbler sighting, uh, south southwest of uh, Roseburg is one for the records. That's an astonishing sighting. Unfortunately, it's not photographed, but he's a very credible witness. And and uh, so there's you know there's there's so many different sightings like that. And if you think well, these are the ones that the government on their BLM map, uh, there's two of them now officially recognized. You know that there's going to be so many more. Just just things that people see, you know, how many people are going down the going down the highway and there's a, an ape standing by the side of the road. I've heard so many accounts about that. And every once in a while, there's a few accounts where people will get a video of one of them dashing across the road. And it's not mistakable. It's not a bear. You can tell by looking at it or, you know, racing up a hill or something like that. You can uh, you can see that there's so many accounts. So. Um, you know, the iceberg theory, five, six of everything is invisible under the surface. And so this is a this is a very fast, very intelligent, very elusive creature. And so here's the number of times the government officially says, yeah, one of our people saw one. And then here's all these other accounts where citizens actually were willing to admit that they saw one because very few people are willing to admit that they saw one in my experience only a small minority so if you if you do the math they're ubiquitous uh you know they're everywhere and that's um that kind of makes sense um you know they're they're uh it's just like uh there are so many uh so many cougars i mean everybody um has been uh seen by a cougar but very few people have seen a cougar i have this uh the uh, the, the shirt that i really like is the one with a bigfoot and it says um, uh, I saw a human, but no one believes me, you know, and, um, and, and, uh, there are very few people that will, um, that will, um, uh, divulge what they've seen because they know what's going to happen. People that are pretending that they don't think they're real are going to make fun of you. And who wants that? You know, what, what's the, what's the upside? There isn't one. So you just keep it to yourself until you run into somebody like Stan, who, talks to you very plainly and says, yeah, I know that they're real. And, uh, I, and, uh, and then finally they'll say, well, here's what happened to me. They want to tell somebody, but they don't want to be ridiculed or dismissed. Hey, Stan, I got a question for you. Um, you know, yeah. you're not a biologist, but you're obviously highly informed. And, you know, based on, based on the maps that you've seen, the the descriptions and stories from experiencers and people in your area are you do you think you're able to 
you know, anticipate any sort of like migration patterns or, you know, where you might be able to anticipate a sighting or, um, or maybe if it's not you, well, I, maybe if, you know, maybe you've, you've got people from Department of Fish and Wildlife that can clue in on that stuff and, and really kind of know their behavior and where they might show up. At. Yeah, good question. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I have looked and I've inquired and, um, and I have not seen uh, uh, patterns in, in just the anecdotal experience that I've had talking to people and finding out what the, what the stories are is uh, I know that there are accounts like, for example, up in Washington, there are theories about Bigfoot migration uh, going east and west uh, with the seasons. And, um, uh, and down here, I haven't really seen the evidence of that. They're just there. They're in the woods. And, um, and uh, there are places where they are more populous than others. And the way we know that or the way we surmise that is because there are more sightings. Um, uh, there's a, uh, there's a, a canyon out in, uh, in uh, central Oregon where there's a guy that has a business here in town. Uh, it's a, a, a tire and lube business. And he's from that area. And he uh, had a, a, a very awesome Bigfoot encounter there in that canyon. And then completely independent from that, um, uh, a, a guy that uh, is a truck driver that delivers plumbing goods here, he went over there and went hunting one time, and he had a terrifying experience in that exact same canyon. He said, we were chased out of there at a dead run by Bigfoot. And he said, I will never go back. So, you know, we know that they're there. I mean, we've had two people that have seen them there, but uh, I haven't really seen the evidence. And, and why would they migrate? I don't know how familiar you are with the, 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 um, the world down here, but the difference between summer and winter here on the South Oregon coast is 15 degrees. Um, and uh, I'm, 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 um, I'm a connoisseur of wild edibles. I'm really big on that. And I teach classes on wild edibles because I, I like using electricity. I like using supermarkets. I just don't like depending on them. And so, uh, you know, there, there is so much food available in the forest here. And uh, never mind the fact that the Bigfoot can evidently outrun a deer. And, uh, and you know, they're omnivores. They'll eat anything. But there's a lot of, of uh, food available in the, in the forest here. Uh, just uh, there's different kinds of, you know, a, a bunch of different kinds of berries. There are two different um, kinds of weight sustaining nuts. And, uh, and there's all kinds of, uh, of, of roots and plants that you can eat. Uh, and so the Bigfoot has plenty of, uh, plenty of food here. And don't get me started about the earthworms. They're giant and they'll eat anything. So I don't really see a reason for them to migrate. And we know they build shelters. Uh, I, I've had reports of some of the shelters that they've built in this vicinity, very obvious shelters not made by man. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's so much documentation of Bigfoot shelters, some of them really decrepit and broken down, some of them in pretty good shape. But the, 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 the commonality is there are no saw or ax marks on any of the wood, and they're built and they're obviously built as a shelter for something really big. And, uh, and so, you know, they just, um, they just live here. They just don't like being around people. They don't like being seen. And they will disappear in a New York minute if they think that you see them. But the thing is that almost all the time, 
they're going to see you. I mean, there's probably all kinds of times when I've walked uh, very close to one. Never, I would never know it. It's up in a tree or it's, you know, behind a bush hiding and waiting until I go past. Um, uh, it would be, it would be very, very easy for them as intelligent as they are to hide. That's what Stuart Love was saying. He said, they're so intelligent and so elusive. There's no hope of us ever being able to do a population count. And we know it. And that's, he's the senior biologist for the ODFNW. Stan, throughout, so I, uh, I was just going to ask you a quick question. This is Toby. Yeah, yeah. Um, throughout the interview here, um, we've referred to them as apes. And I wonder along the way here if there's something frustrating um, calling them apes because of this other conundrum of them being upright and not having a divergent big toe and having, you know, sometimes people report strange glowing eyes and, and building shelters and maybe even language if we're going to Ron Moorhead. Are there anything, you know, any reports or anything that strikes a chord with you that talks about a humanity or something beyond ape? Well, they're, I mean, I have a photograph of one of their skulls and it's, you know, and it's actually next to a gorilla skull and they're virtually identical except the, the Bigfoot skull is huge. And, you know, they're just really, really big animals. But there are so many, you know, just in the last 40 years, 35 new ape species have been discovered in the world. And uh, do, do you guys know who Cliff Berrickman is? Yes, we're aware of his name. Cliff Berrickman, uh, 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 Finding Bigfoot uh, on, the, on the TV show. I've, yes, I've heard anyway, of him. Anyway, he, he's, he's quite the scientist, but he, uh, uh, he, he went to the island of Sumatra. And, and, and they, they discovered an ape there, and he actually did some of the initial research and documentation of it. And it's about five foot tall, and it's completely upright. It just walks upright, has very strange feet. And, uh, and, and, uh, but the, the local people there, it was on the northern part of Sumatra Island in Southeast Asia, and the locals said, yeah, we know what they are. It was just a common thing, but the outside world didn't know what they were. Uh, like, like, here's an example. As soon as the, the as soon as the gorillas in Africa were documented, scientifically documented, how long did it take before the man on the street in Europe understood that it was a real species? It was 150 years. It took a long time. People just, um, you know, they didn't really accept that, and uh, you know, it was, it was very well known. And so there, there are lots of things like that. Um, but to, in in all of the I've learned that they do have language, and apes do. I mean, you know, that we we would call it gibberish. Of course, it's probably not gibberish for them, but they do communicate. Uh, and there are lots of animals that have very intricate and articulate communication. It's just not the way that we uh, uh, communicate in terms of uh, with, with syntax and grammar and uh, things like that, that's extremely complex and different languages, like even pods of, uh, of, of whales, uh, they will have distinct dialects in all their whistles and, and sounds that they make with each other that are recognizable for each, each uh, group of whales. They kind of have their own communication style, but everything that I can see, in terms of the skeletal remains that, that have been, that, that, that can be seen of the Gigantopithecus, uh, it's just an extremely large ape, has the same, you know, ape skull. And I don't see them as, as, uh, as something like a, a, a divergent from 
Homo sapiens, you know, or a, a predecessor to Homo sapiens, uh, I don't see any link whatsoever. The missing link, which of course we were taught about that in school, uh, is still profoundly missing. And uh, in the whole idea of there being a a, 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 a a development where one species, one completely kind of animal, like a, uh, a, a, a reptile would turn into a bird or something like that. It's an idea, it's a theory, but it has zero documentation in the real world and in, in DNA. It's just not there. No, I would, anyway, I would, that's what I I would, would yeah, I would totally I, agree with that. And we should mention too that- I'm opining uh, here. But, no, that's fine. Yeah, these, these, are, these are apes. Uh, the, the, and, and, uh, and also, uh, there, there are plenty of people that have seen them, especially like, uh, I have some friends here in town and they watched one, uh, it was, a, it was an obvious juvenile crossing highway 101 lickety split on all fours. That's what apes do. Uh, you know, the, the, especially the, the young ones. I mean, we have a, there's a really great video of an infant Bigfoot from Pennsylvania. And the, it looks like a, it looks like a spider monkey up in this tree and the, and the, the mom, the female is pacing back and forth underneath. It's a very clear video and you can watch that. My, my wife is actually the one that discovered the, 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 the baby uh, skittering around way, way up in this tree at the very, very top of the video. No one even noticed it. And people were, they, there was a, it was a video, a really well-known video. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but people were wondering, well, this looks fake. I mean, why would she be walking back and forth? It was an obvious female. The thing is, just someone in a suit trying to get attention? No, she was guarding her infant that was up in the tree way up above her. And, uh, and Teresa is the one that figured that out. It's like, yeah. And she actually contacted the people and said, you know, look up. And I think a lot of people that think it just disappeared. It's, it's magical. No, look up. It's going to be up in the tree. And that's, that's my view of it. I, I, uh, I don't, um, I don't disrespect the sincerity of people that, that opine differently, you know, and, and think that there are supernatural aspects to this. Um, everything that I have learned is that, that, um, they're just, uh, uh the same species that has been here for thousands of years and we find their bones, we find their bones in the fossil record. They're identical, Gigantopithecus. And, uh, and it's natural for people to attribute supernatural things to them because of the cryptid and mystical nature of the whole thing. It's hidden. And, but, but men all around the world have been doing that forever. You can go to any culture. Like I travel in India a lot. And, and in India, boy, I tell you what, they, they talk to the cows. They talk to the cobras. They talk to the rats. And they're convinced that they hear them because they have this supernatural overlay over them. And that's just, that's just how they roll down there. And I look at it and go, it's just a rat. It's just a cobra. It's just a cow. The cow doesn't understand you, but they pray to them. And, 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 and you, you can look at the American Indian culture. They had all kinds of fascinating mystical overlays pertaining to animals that we recognize as just animals but that they had mystical ideas about them and uh, to try to help them explain their world because they understood the, the world is more than what appears the eye. They believed that we live in a spiritual universe and it was natural to think, well, that might have something to do with some of these animals because we've seen this mysterious stuff. And so I think because of the, of the mysterious nature of Bigfoot, it's natural for people. Like, like a lot of the people that are looking for Bigfoot are looking for UFOs. And so it's no surprise that they 
that they encounter them together, you know, and, you know, different lights and things like that. Those things don't surprise me at all because we do live in a mysterious spiritual universe. I've seen so much stuff, especially in India, absolutely just supernatural miracles right in front of my eyes. I know that uh, I am not a secular person in terms of just this is just uh, a natural world. Oh, no. There's Stan. much more to it. Anyway, I, Stan, I've been going on here. It's, it's, it's Brett. It's Brett. Listen, um, yeah. we, had, we had the most wonderful, most successful screening in Bandon, you know, this past July. And it was fun. We want to do that again. We, you know, obviously we've been working on our sequel um, to A Flash of Beauty. And what's really interesting, and you know, we only have a, a few minutes left before we need to wrap up, but what's really interesting is okay. we were approached by some guests of that screening who had a very sensational huh. story for us. And um, so we, you know, we, we get many stories from many people and we want to follow up each and every one of them. And sometimes we were unable to. But this was this was one that they were insistent on. And so we followed up with them. We had a phone call and long story short, we traveled back down to Coquille and we um, documented this story. And oh, the, I can't I can't give away too much right now because there's it's the it's going to be probably the ending of our, our film. But what I can sure. tell you, Stan, is it is the most supernatural, sensational story that I have ever heard in my entire life. Um, I mean, aside from from anything, obviously, that's biblical um, in nature. But this this story that has happened, and we've heard actually um, just recently within the last couple of weeks that there's been more extremely strange things happening in the vicinity of Coquille. So I just want to tease you a little bit that um, uh -huh. we're, we're hot on the of some supernatural mystery and wonderment and um this is a story that might set the world ablaze and so we we cannot wait to hear your take on it and what some of your <laughs> thoughts are and, and those those guys those two gentlemen that had the experience will be there abandoned when we we do another screening so we're gonna we're gonna want to talk to them and and get their thoughts and opinions but this this one's truly i mean if there's a left field stand this one's beyond left field i'll just leave it at that it's a, par it's a paradox for me because i you know i'm i'm the respectful counterpoint to the woo factor regarding gigantopithecus but on the other hand you're not going to meet anybody that is more mystical than me in terms of the spiritual universe that we live in i mean uh, demons and angels and 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 uh, I, I mean i'm a young earth creationist you know uh, you can't get any more supernatural than that and i i may teresa and i not not to overshare here, but Teresa and I have way too many times been put in situations where we had to cast demons out of people and where we have seen astonishing miracles. And so I know that there are all kinds of spiritual realities in the world. Uh, and But I want to hear. I want to listen. I want to meet people. And I want to hear what they have to say. And uh, and everyone, uh, th there's there's no reason to doubt what they're saying. Why would they make something like that up? Yeah, this is absolutely correct. And that's the way that we feel about these two gentlemen who, um, again, I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, he's uh, both of these guys are pillars of their community as well. And they're well known and he's a small business owner. And they had this sighting at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning in November. And wow. what they saw was may, may 
you'll definitely be scratching your head on this one. This, this is a wild yeah. one. <laughs> also, I hope someday uh, you'll be able to sit down with Steve Nibbler and have him tell you the 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 salient details of that amazing sighting he had with high power binoculars um, there southwest of uh, of Roseburg. Stan, you're more than you're you're more than a uh, a theologian, a plumber, a, a spiritual guru of sorts. Um, you can well, fix... also I'm a poet and a fiddler. Well, I was going to bring up the poetry part of yourself because we have oh, some well, unfinished I, I, business. I, I've got the I've got the song here. If you want me okay. to sing it, okay. Well, let me let me set the stage because they don't know what's coming. Oh, you know, along the way right. here, Stan has um, <laughs> repurposed some lyrics from a Simon and Garfunkel classic. So without further ado, to close out our show, Stan, why don't you in tune, if you can, I don't know if you want to be Simon or Garfunkel or both, but um, read this, this uh, or sing this song uh, regarding Sasquatch. All right. With the voice I have left, here it is. <clears throat> Hello, Sasquatch, my old friend. I've come to search for you again. Because that glimpse of you behind the trees makes me yearn to learn your mysteries and the footprints you leave planted in the ground still abound. But I prefer some photos through rugged woods I hiked around just hoping for some sight or sound. As I slowly lost the last daylight, a flying boulder landed to my right, and a wood knock made it clear that you know I'm here, tasting fear, but I held on for photos. With a big night scope on my head, I fumbled for my infrared. When a rotten stench assaults my face, as I heard your nearby heavy pace, when my sight was blocked by a dense wall of leafy brush, it's too much. There went my chance for photos then after that there was no sound just big mosquitoes all around i was so sure i'd get a video because i knew the perfect place to go <clears throat> but my only score was a cast of a 10 inch foot on a root because you don't pose for photos. There you go. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I wow. mean, that was yeah, amazing. We need to get you amazing. Amazing. Yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah, anybody, anybody that wants to, uh, to, I can, with a better voice, my voice is really shot, as you can tell. Anybody that wants to use that song, um, it, they can use it unattributed. Anybody that likes it, I can send them the lyrics. I love it. No, I think we're going to hear it on Spotify soon. Stan, I can't appreciate you enough for uh, entertaining us towards the last part of this interview and the wealth of knowledge and uh, naming the documentary for crying out loud. Uh, it's yeah. been a real pleasure and it's not the end. And if I can see out in Bandon for part two, I'll do it. Um, I look forward well, listen, to meeting we're you. We're not private people. We're not private people. Come by anytime. 
I love it. Not private people. The Sasquatch are. This has uh, yep. been a lot of fun. Thanks again, Stan, and we will talk soon. This has been a Resonance Productions podcast. If you have questions, comments, or your own encounter story you would like to relay to the show, email us at bigfootrevealedpod at gmail.com. Also, if you're just discovering us, you can watch our documentary, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, on most major video streaming platforms.